good morning, church. Would you do me a favor? Would you welcome with me those who are joining us online and are watching at our other campuses? We're so grateful for technology. Sometimes it frustrates us, but it's such a gift that we're able to use for the glory of God. Hey, do me a favor. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the little book of Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing the series of messages called For Jesus. And today's message is entitled, Let Jesus Rule. Let Jesus Rule. What do you think he looked like? Jesus. And do you think they were surprised? The shepherds? They were sent to see the Messiah and maybe the setting and perhaps the family was shocking. And then the three kings, a couple of years later, they came and they were to pay their respect to give gifts to Jesus. And I mean, this is the king of kings? <laughs> He's in a peasant's home. Artists throughout history have, have sought to depict what Jesus looked like. I, I would imagine many of them got this wrong <laughs> because a lot of the artists have skin that's my color and... And so they did in art what we do in life, and, and they created Jesus in their image. <laughs> and yet the reality is Jesus was Middle Eastern, and, and so uh, maybe there are going to be some people that if, if we see Jesus bodily in his physical image, his earthly image in heaven, are, are going to be like, wow, he, he's a lot darker skin than I imagined. What does Jesus look like? Well, I, I was reading God's Word to... And I even found a, an illustrated Bible, but I realized that uh, those pictures were not part of the original. And so, um, I don't think in the Bible we have a very clear physical description of Jesus. But we do have this. We're told that the way that people see Jesus today, are you ready for this? is they look at us. They look at Christ's followers. The church and, and the church, the, the very purpose, the intent, the design of the church is that we represent Jesus. And, and so when, when people look at us, they see Jesus. And, and yet, I, I look at the church and the world and Man, it doesn't seem like we're making the impact that God wants us to make. It seems like often we're very ineffective. In fact, my, my dear friend, Pastor Zach, his brother Ayuba is a missionary in his home country of Niger, and he ministers to children, and you are a part of that ministry. Through your faithful giving, we, we support Ayuba in helping his ministry uh, to children. And, and this year, he, uh, he, you know, in a pandemic, he, uh, he's had quite an impact to those children, and, and he's been able to provide them meals that they would not have had because of you. And it, it's, it's such an impact that those in the community have noticed, and even a, a Muslim imam, a religious leader in, in the Muslim faith, he came to him and, and he said, thank you. And I, I see the difference that you're making in, in these children's life. 
And of course, Ayuba said, well, you know, I, I do this because of Jesus. I'm just trying to demonstrate the love of Jesus in a, a tangible way. And the imam said this. He said, yes, the, the more I know, the more I like about your Jesus. It's the Christians that I'm not very impressed with. I don't think that's just in Niger. I think that's true in Tampa. I think that's true around the world. I think people look at us, and, and while we're supposed to be reflecting Jesus, I'm not sure we're doing a very good job as Christ followers. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like when Jesus rules, when Jesus reigns in our lives. There's a key verse I, I want you to get. This would be a good one for you to memorize. It's Colossians 3.17. It says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, through Him, to God the Father. I want us to pray again. And let's do this. Let's simply pray, Lord Jesus, would you rule in this place? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do come with grateful hearts. This is the day that you've made. And so, in spite of everything else in the world, that gives me reason to rejoice and be glad today. Thank you. Now, God, we've opened your word. It's perfect. It's, it's, it's your word to us, and, and we need that today. So would you use that to make us look more like Jesus? Would you give us those things that we're lacking to make us more like Jesus? Would you teach us those things we don't know to make us more like Jesus? Would you transform us to make us more like Jesus? Lord Jesus, would you rule and reign in this place, in these moments, in our lives, today? And Jesus, begin in me. Let the words I say in my thoughts be pleasing to you. And then, Lord Jesus... Would you turn the light on for somebody today? We're, we're going to talk about you, Jesus. Would you draw somebody to yourself today? Would you save someone today because they're here? And Lord, it may be someone that thinks they are saved. But would you give them that miracle of salvation today? And ultimately, Lord Jesus, we want all of this just to point to you. We want everything we do to point to you. So even now, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Colossians, uh, let me remind you of the context a, a little bit, right? Paul, the apostle's writing this letter to a church. So it, it's like it would be as if this Paul was writing a letter to this church, except the apostle Paul had never been to the church at Colossae. He, he just knew ab about it. And he was hoping to visit soon. We know that because as he writes a, a sister letter to Philemon uh, right around the same time, he says, I, I want to see you there soon. 
but he's, he's writing, addressing problems. And, and that's just a reminder to me, the church has always had problems. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, have you ever left the church because they had problems? A lot of you would say, well, yeah, I have. And well, let me just tell you, say something. Welcome to the club because the church has always had problems. A lot of times you'll have pastors like me say, we just need to be more like the early church. But, but the truth is, you read the New Testament, and the early church was pretty screwed up. I mean, Paul had to write to the church at Corinth and say, hey, you got one of your guys who's uh, sleeping with his stepmother. I mean, things are not okay there. You, you, you've got to address some of these problems. So Paul was addressing problems at the church at Colossae, and there were two primary threats. And they're threats I think we still deal with today. The first one was this. They didn't really acknowledge that Jesus is God. Now, don't get me wrong. They thought Jesus was good. He just wasn't God. Ultimately, this manifested itself in a philosophy called Gnosticism. Jesus was not divine. He's a good prophet, but he's, he's not divine. He, he's not enough. And, and you know, the reality is I doubt any of you in here, unless you're a guest and, and someone twisted your arm today, I, I doubt any of us would say Jesus is not God. But the practice of our life implies that we may think that. We're not treating him as if he's God, if, if he's Lord, as if he's in charge. So um, that was one of the, the threats that he was dealing with. The second threat is another problem I think we face. And I, I think we face this problem because I, I look at the church, not just our church, but the church I've grown up in my whole life, the church in our culture. And in the church, you have this reality that a lot of people say they're part of the church. Tons of people say they're Christ followers but most of them don't even show up. And then a lot of them that show up, I mean, they never do some of the basic things. That Not the preacher, but that scripture. And Jesus himself said they never tell others about Jesus. They, they don't truly worship him in spirit and truth. Their, their prayer lives are, are weak and wimpy. And, and they're, maybe they're never generous. In fact, they get mad and they leave churches when, when people talk about money or, or resources. And, and so the problem in Colossae was that they thought only a few could understand the mystery. Like there was a secret club a secret society that were really the true Christians. And the reality is some of you must think that way because you've not, you've not gotten in the game. You're kind of leaving it to others. You're not a part of what he's doing. And, and so to address these threats, Paul's message was simple. It was two truths. He says, Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. And so that's what we've been saying every week. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is God. He is the Lord. He wants to rule and reign in your life. And whatever you're facing, Jesus is enough. And if you as the church begin to live like you believed that Jesus is enough, I'm just telling you, your children, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, they would begin to say, oh, you look different, but we don't. And chapter 3 really expresses that they really didn't either. So Paul was kind of writing them some tough truths. Verse 1. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven 
where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. So put to death the sinful things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Would you say that phrase with me? Let's say, Christ is all that matters. One more time. Christ is all that matters. And He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through Him. To God the Father. May God add his blessing to his word. Perfect and true. That we've read aloud. That key verse. I want to say it again to you. Verse 17. And whatever you do or say. Whatever you do or say. (laughs) That's pretty wide margin isn't it? Whatever you do or say. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him. To God the Father. Do you remember the theme of Jesus' preaching? Don't, don't shout it out because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But really you should know that. Um, there's a lot in the Gospels that, that he taught, that he preached. And there was a theme. And the theme was the kingdom of God. That's why even at the end the disciples were confused because they knew that Jesus had come to usher in the kingdom. The problem is the kingdom didn't look like what they wanted. And man, that's still a problem today. A lot of those that call themselves disciples of Christ, it just doesn't look the way they want it to look. And so Jesus came to to rule. He, He came to reign 
in his kingdom. We're told that he's coming again, but in the meantime, we've learned from Scripture that what? He gives us the keys to the kingdom. Isn't that awesome, church? You and I have the keys to the kingdom. And yet it doesn't look like he's ruling and reigning in our life because that's what it means to be a part of the kingdom. You have the rule and the reign of Christ. And that's today's big idea. When Jesus rules and reigns in your life, everything you do points others to him. So I want to spend a few minutes from this passage talking about how we live out the rule and reign of Jesus. And all I would ask is that you do this. Honestly, you evaluate your life against the Scriptures and try to determine whether or not Jesus is ruling and reigning in your life. How do we do that? Well, the first thing Paul says is you've got to understand your position in Christ. So he starts out saying in those first four verses to the church at Colossae, hey guys, remember, you've been raised to life with Christ. That's your spiritual condition. That's what distinguishes you. You have been raised to life with Christ. Throughout all of the New Testament, Paul uses two words to describe being a Christian. He says you are in Christ. Say that. Say, in Christ. One more time. In Christ. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. It's not about a prayer. I prayed at some moment that all of a sudden I prayed and forgot it and nothing's changed. It's certainly not about some personality that expires me. And that's become a big part of the church today, celebrity leaders. It's not about programs that we go through. This is not some 12-step journey, though sometimes those things are good, right? They can be helpful. No, and it's, it's not about a place, I'm not different because I walked into a building. That would be no different than thinking I, I turn into a Big Mac if I go through the McDonald's drive-thru. No, it, it's about the person, Jesus. It's about understanding that I am in Christ. Everything in my life now is filtered through who Jesus is and what that means. There are Jesus implications in everything. And when I begin to realize my position, then people see me differently. Because I have those Jesus implications in my marriage. I have Jesus implications in my work life. I have Jesus implications in my neighborhood. I have Jesus implications in the classroom. I have Jesus implications in every re relationship in my life. But if I don't understand that position, then I just look like everybody else. And people don't see Jesus in me. So I, I want to ask you today, the first evaluation is to determine if you are in Christ. Because I tend to concur with the great evangelist Billy Graham, who in his day would have said 65% of those who are active in local churches are not really Christians. Because their lives don't demonstrate it. So are you in Christ? Well, how do I know? Well, first of all, you need to understand that if, if the Bible's true, which is what I believe and what we teach here, then you were not born in Christ. Regardless of your family, regardless of the good things you've done, you were born in sin. And that literally means you were separated from Christ. 
There was nothing you did. That was the nature that you were born with. And so if nothing else changed in your life, you would live in sin. And as a result, you would die in sin. Because according to Scripture, the punishment of sin is one thing, and it's death. The wages are the cost of sin is death. But that's not God's desire. God's desire is that you be in Christ. So Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates His love for us in that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so if you're truly a Christian, what that means is there became a point in your life where you recognized you were in sin and that sin was keeping you from God. So you agreed with God. You confessed about that sin. You looked to Jesus and you understood that when Jesus died on the cross, he was doing so not for general mankind. He was doing so for your sin, that he forgave you. And so you received his forgiveness. You returned from the direction you were going, where you were in control of things, and you went the other way. You said, Jesus, I want you to be king. I want you to be Lord. You surrendered and you began a life in Christ. This is what the Bible says. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away, and all things have become new. That means you're different. So, let me give you a news flash. I'm not God. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in your mind. But I'm just telling you, according to Scripture, if you prayed a prayer or walked down an aisle, if you were dipped or dunked, if you've been through catechism or confirmation, whatever you want to call it, church class, but nothing's changed in your life, it's hard to think that you're in Christ. And so what you need today is not another church service. What you need today is to be saved. You need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to be in Christ. The Bible calls this being adopted into a family. I think God uses that because that's something even 2,000 years later we can understand, right? Our family's been through an adoption. What takes place? You have an individual that is born into one birth family. Then through a process, a legal process, you go into a court of law and a judge asks questions. It's one of the scariest days of my life. A judge looks you in the eye and, and asks questions and talks about commitment to parents. And, and then after that process, a person legally becomes a part of another family. They're adopted into another family. If you've done that with children, we have an, a name for what we call that day. We call it gotcha day because that's the day that we gotcha. That's adoption. Well, the Bible says that if you are in Christ... God looks past your sin because he's looking through Jesus and you're adopted into his family. So just like in our world, you got a new name. You're now called Christian. But guess what that means? That means that new identity causes you to look differently. So the rest of the, the passage, Paul talks about how we demonstrate the difference. So the first thing we do is we, we, we understand the importance of our spiritual position, but then we keep an eternal perspective. That's verse 2. Remember what it says in verse 2? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Uh, old preachers used to say this, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well, 
I don't think we have to worry about that too much anymore. Um, I mean, I did come across this, this, uh, this guy that said, my wife is, she's like an angel. And I said, really? He said, yeah, she's always up in the air flitting around about something. <laughs> you see, I, I, don't, I don't think our problem is that our focus is on heaven too much. Paul was saying way back then, hey, keep your eyes on the eternal prize, on where you're headed. Have you ever been homesick? I remember the first time I got homesick. I don't remember the exact age. I think I was probably six or seven, but I was very frustrated with the government in my house, uh, the, the leadership of my parents, and I decided I had had enough. So I packed a bag. I'm not sure what was in it. I'm sure it was not anything I needed. Um, but I, I packed a bag, and I headed down the road. And there was this large hill uh, on a roadside right beside the house we lived in. And um, I don't remember how many miles I got down the road. I mean, I think it was, um, oh, it was about maybe one-tenth of one mile. And I, I, realized, I realized I was desperately homesick. I mean, I did not like the situation I had gotten myself into. So I, I tucked tail and run. I went back home. Um, but I also remember other times in my life that I've just been homesick. One of my favorite mission trips was my first mission trip of what's now been, I don't know, 20 or so to France. And it was great. I mean, we not only worked hard, we did a lot of fun things. I mean, we went to some great places, saw some great sites. But I don't know who planned the trip, but it was a little too long. It was 17 days. And by the end of that trip, everybody on the trip, like, we didn't, we knew we didn't like each other anymore. We thought we still loved Jesus, but I mean, we were ready to get home. I want to see my wife, to see my children. It's homesick. Paul is saying, if you understand your spiritual position, there's going to be a reality that on a regular basis, there will be a healthy sense of homesickness. When I was growing up in South Carolina, I remember when this guy named Tony Harden, he was our music director, and he would sing this song called Beulah Land, this old gospel song. These are the lyrics. He said, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken, for time won't matter anymore. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. I mean, man, what a great song. And you know what it's about? It's about how you live your life just longing for your heavenly home. Is there anybody in the Lord's house today that says, I can't wait for heaven? Is there anybody here? I mean, that's where I am. Thank you, Jesus, a place where there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrows. All you got is Jesus face-to-face -face and worshiping him. So what's Jesus really trying to tell us here? I, I, think that's, I think that's the point. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Man, there's so much I don't know. But I think this is true. 2021 marks 30 years that I've yielded my life to full-time vocational ministry. I've seen and heard a lot of problems. But I think regardless of the problem, life would get better if we just follow this pres prescription.
Get your eyes back on Jesus. Your marriage is a mess. All right, get your eyes back on Jesus. You hate your job? All right, get your eyes back on Jesus. You're battling through a sickness you wish you didn't have and don't understand? I get it. That stinks. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Your finances are a mess? All right. He owns everything that is. So get your eyes on Jesus. When we have an eternal perspective, what we're saying is the things of this world cannot keep me down. Why in the world would would your neighbors, would your friends, would the people around you, why would they want what you say you've got based on the way some of us act? Get your eyes on Jesus. The old hymn says it this way, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow how? Strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, I'm just telling you, you get your eyes on Jesus and you may not understand it, but you'll be going, wow, that stuff just doesn't matter as much as it used to. See, everything in your life has a Jesus implication. And when you begin to understand that, it changes you. So, so what's going on in your life that needs to be seen more through the presence of who Jesus is? Understand your spiritual position. Keep an eternal perspective. And then get this. This is where it gets hard. Destroy the earthly passions. He literally says, put to death the sinful passions of this earth. He says, when you're raised to Christ, you're now dead to sin. What does that mean? You still desire to sin, but sin doesn't have to control you. You're no longer a slave to sin. Don't you love it when we sing those words? You're no longer a slave to sin. Some of you are walking around in chains, chained up by things that are controlling your life when you have been set free in Christ. The old things have passed away. We're supposed to look different. You ever been really dirty? Back when I was younger, I I did some hiking on the Appalachian Trail. For a few years, I worked at an outdoors camp for boys. One of the things we do is we take the guys out for a week just out camping. Part of what they'd have to do is, is they would be alone. I mean, no one around them for one of the nights. Rain, thunder, lightning, whatever. We're in the mountains of South and North Carolina. I can remember the end of that week. Man, I was filthy. I mean, I stunk. I could see the dirt on me. And, and I was going back to a camp. It was not like I was going back even to the Holiday Inn Express. I mean, in these camp showers back in the 1990s, I'm not sure it's even legal today what we had to bathe in. But I mean, but I was ready. I mean, we got back to that camp. I took off those dirty clothes. I kind of peeled them off slowly. Those dirty clothes. I stayed in that shower until every ounce of that hot water was gone. I used every bit of soap and shampoo I had to clean myself. Then I went back to my room and I I put back on those dirty socks and those filthy pants. and No, I didn't. That would be dumb. That would stink. A 
And yet that's what some of you are doing. You say that Christ cleans you. And yet you're not letting go of those things that are part of your old life. And it stinks. And, and you know the irony about it? Everybody around you can tell it stinks. But you don't see it. So what's he talking about? If there's any confusion, he lists it. Look, look at the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And, and that's the kind that often people in the church go, Amen. Because we're thinking about those people out there, even though, again, around the church all my life, all of these things are taking place in the church. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Is that you? All of these come from a word that today we put into the English word pornography, perneo. Is that you? Then he says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And now that starts to hurt because we can struggle with greed, right? Because all greed is is saying, no, you can't have that. Not that part of me. No, I'm not going to give up that, Lord. And the reason this is a problem is because it's idolatry. An idol is anything, even a good thing that you put in the place of a, the best thing. And so at the, at the core of our Christian faith is this idea of surrender. Remember, we've already said that. And, and surrender is when I'm opening my hands, my heart, my life to Jesus and say, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. That's Christianity. The earliest of Christians did that knowing that might meant they would die because of the profession of their faith. Greed is opposite of that. Greed is closing the fist and saying, no, 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 not that, Lord. Not now, not here, not me. So it's a big deal. What Paul's saying is if you're controlled by any of these things, any of this list, that means you're not being controlled by Jesus, which means Jesus is not the Lord of your life. And so that's where it gets anxious in church because remember, I, I've sat where you're sitting and that's when we begin to squirm a little bit and we look at our watch and we think, all right, because this is where it hurts because there are things in our life where we're not giving him control. What are you holding on to that God wants you to give up? Oh, we're not there yet. I hadn't touched it. I forgot we're not through with the list. He also talks about anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. So it's not just the things you do, huh? It's, it's what we say and even our attitude. Yeah. And then he says, don't lie to one another. And, and some of us are living a lie. And the problem is all of these things, they're not only problematic personally, they're destructive to the unity of the body of Christ. And, and so the reason that some of you have been a part of churches where there have been splits and divides and problems is because these things go on among those of ourselves that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ and it's not addressed. And it divides us because it's hard. It's hard to be around these kind of people, to live above with saints we love. Oh, that will be such glory. 
but to live below with those we know. Now, that's another story, right? So I want to challenge us because, again, 30 years since I um, set aside my life for vocational ministry, there's so much I'm still learning. But this I know, apart from the supernatural act of God, the biggest influence on the lives of children and those watching you are the attitudes and actions of adults toward their church and her leaders. And not everybody's in this category because sin grips all of us and ultimately we make choices. But some of you, some of you have never been content in your church. And you've never liked fill-in-the-blank pastor. And, and you go home and you talk about it and talk about everything that's wrong. And you have roast pastor for lunch. And then you wonder why your kids grow up and don't follow Jesus. Don't expect others to prioritize the things they watch you criticize and marginalize. doesn't work that way. So are any of these earthly struggles for you? Now it kind of hits home, doesn't it? Can I remind you of something we learned last week? Because I don't want this to be discouraging. I want to encourage you. Remember what the Bible says in Colossians 2 about your sin and my sin? It, It says that Jesus canceled the debt and that he nailed them to the cross. Do you remember that picture of all of our sin nailed to the cross? The charges against us? So what did Paul say? He said, you used to do these things when your life was a part of the world, but your position changed. You're now in Christ. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 6. It says, didn't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, who are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, who are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But some of you were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. How bad are these things? Paul says this this list, this earthly passion, it's so bad that it, it causes the ensuing judgment of God. And really that's talked about in Scripture in two different ways. One way is when God's judgment was poured out The wrath of God on Jesus on the cross for your sin and my sin. The other way is when Jesus will return as King of kings, Lord of lords, and judge this world once and for all. I'm so thankful that my sins were nailed to the cross. I'm so thankful that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. So I just want to live my life in such a way that when others look at me, they too would see Jesus. How do I do that? I put to death these sinful things. I put to death this sinful nature. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. My old self's been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So you're doing evaluation. I'm doing evaluation. What 
of your old self needs to be put to death. I'm just telling you, this passage has been eating my lunch for about three weeks because I knew it was coming. And there are some things in my life that by God's grace I'm putting to death. What about you? Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you do, you're positioned for success. So then you're able to do this last thing. Develop Christ-like patterns. I'm positioned in Christ. I have an eternal perspective. I'm destroying earthly passions. And then I'm going to work on these Jesus habits. See, sanctification, sanctification is a big churchy word, which means becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's always comprised of two parts. It's always forsaking sin and pursuing holiness. Our position in Christ takes place instantly. So when I truly trust in Jesus, He forgives me of my sin, I'm now following Him. I'm in Him. The Holy Spirit seals me. I can't lose that if that truly took place. But sanctification takes place over time. That means, let's just do some math. If you're 76 and you've been a a Christian for 60 years and you're still married, praise the Lord. Um, If you're a man, your wife should think you look more like Jesus today than you did 10 years ago. Or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, or 50 years ago. Because I'm constantly being sanctified. I'm constantly putting to death the things of the earth. And I'm constantly developing these godly habits, these patterns. And Paul calls that putting on the character of Christ. These are the new clean clothes. It's the clothes you put on. And what are they? Just look at this list. It's encouraging. Tender-hearted mercy. (laughs) so we're evaluating right all of us how do the people around you know you do they say man they have such a tender heart or do they think of you as grumpy and negative i'm not saying you are i'm just saying how do you think people think of you do you show off that you're tender-hearted and mercy what is mercy mercy means i'm not giving you what you deserve so if i'm giving you what you deserve when you cut in front of me maybe you give them the one way to Jesus sign, or maybe you lay on the horn, or, or, or maybe you speed up, or, or whatever. Or, or That's just one example, right? But that's not showing mercy. Tender-hearted mercy is saying, man, I realize that, that might be me tomorrow. Kindness. <laughs> this just gives me a chance to remind you that a Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. Humility. I'm reading through the Bible. Today I was in Zephaniah. Can anybody quote anything from Zephaniah? I'd be impressed if you could. You know, in Zephaniah this morning, it's talking about how God honors the humble and he opposes the proud again and again in Scripture. Gentleness. Jesus was gentle and lowly is how he was known. And patient. (laughs) It's kind of a hard time of year to be patient, isn't it? We were late for something the other day, and I turned to Anaya, and I said, I'm sorry, baby. I, she was talking to me. I said, i, I got to focus right now. The, the, traffic's, <laughs> the traffic's so bad. Bless her heart. She can't see a thing. And she said, yeah, I know. It's Christmas. Crazy drivers. <laughs> I don't know where she heard that. <laughs> Patience. <laughs> 
And then what about this one? Oh, friend, what about this one? Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Forgive others. That's right. Sound the alarm. Wake up because this is probably, this is probably the most important thing you'll hear. Forgive. Say that with me. Say forgive. Yeah. We need to learn that. Can, can I just ask you, would, just in advance, I, I don't know of anything, I don't think, but would you forgive me? Because guess what? As a pastor, I'm not perfect. Hang around me long enough, I'm going to let you down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in a hurry and pass by and not maybe say the things I should. I, I, may, I may respond in a way or, or not respond in a way that, that I need to. But at the heart of who we are is forgiveness. And, and that's, that's in relationships and what may in everybody else's eyes be small things. And then that's in the biggest of big things. And, and I, I saw an example of that this week. And, and you need to see it. Watch this. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father, not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. Guys, the Christ life is intended to look different because when it does, people look at us and they see Jesus. And the truth is, for some of the people in your little corner of the world, you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. And that's why he goes on to say, so let all of yourself, clothe all of yourself with love and let the peace of Christ rule in you and then come together. That's what he means when he's talking about teach and counsel each other with wisdom and sing songs of praise and songs rejoicing. He, he's saying we benefit from worshiping together. It makes us more like Jesus. So how are you doing? I got some work to do. What comes easy for you on this list? What are you struggling with? 
See, Paul's saying when you understand your spiritual position, when you live with eternal perspective, when you destroy these earthly passions, and, and when you develop Christ-like patterns, then it will be evident that Jesus is ruling and reigning in your life. When others look at you, they will see Jesus because when Jesus rules, you'll be resting in him. And when Jesus rules, you'll be rejoicing in him. And when Jesus rules, you will represent him well. Verse 17, whatever you do or say, do it as representatives of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Yep. When Jesus rules and reigns in your life, everything you do will point others to Jesus. Who are you pointing to? For as long as I can remember when our boys left the house, <laughs> I would tell them a couple of things. But it would always revolve around this. Remember who you are and re remember whose you are. You're, you're representing two names. Purvis and Jesus. Don't blow it. <laughs> when our little girl came around, we realized we treat her a little differently <laughs> and she's around almost all the time but she's so blessed because we've got her, her deeply loving and caring birth great-grandparents are an active part of her life and see her a couple times a week and whether it's going there whether it's coming to church or school um, I always tell her the same thing with a little adjustment and so she's she's learned it so as she's about to leave, I'll say, Anaya. And she says, yeah, I know. Remember, I'm a purvis. Remember, I'm a princess. And remember, I represent Jesus. How would things look different in our little corner of the world if we remembered we represented Jesus? See, this time of year we gather, we sing our songs, and make it makes our heart feel good. One of my favorites is when we sing that song, it gets to the end, the Hallelujah Chorus, and He shall reign forever and ever, and He shall reign forever and ever, and it feels so powerful. Yes, my God, He shall reign forever and ever, and yes, that is true, and nothing I do will impact that, but what I can impact is whether or not He's reigning in my life right now. So that's your question today. Will Jesus rule and reign in you? Let's pray together. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would move in this place. Give us a sacred moment for your glory right now. Our heads are bowed. In the spirit of prayer, most of us in this room profess to be Christ followers. I'm just telling you, doing some of the, <laughs> the basic observation, some of us in here who think we are probably are not. So just keep that in mind with what I'm about to say. But if you're a Christ follower, I wonder if you, like me, have some work to do. There's some earthly evil passions you need to destroy. There's some godly spiritual passions you need to employ you need to develop in your life. Would you spend a minute with God? If you know for certain 
you're going to heaven in eternity. You know for certain you're forever secure. Spend a minute just working on that with the Lord. Surrendering to Him. Somebody's here today, though, and you've never begun a relationship with Christ. I know it because I prayed for you to be here. And you're always welcome here. But I'm praying that today is the day of your salvation. And so what you need to do, if, if you want that to be the case, is, is you need to once and for all surrender to God. That means where you acknowledge that you're a sinner that needs to be saved. That you believe that Jesus died for your sin in your place, in my place. And you need to repent. You need to turn to Jesus. You, you got to do that. And so today, I'm not going to pray a prayer with you publicly, but I'm going to be standing here at the front in just a moment. There'll be other pastors here at the front. There's someone that's available for those of you that are online. And, and man, I, I'm just going to invite you to talk to one of us today and get this right. You might, uh, who knows, you might be a deacon in this church. You could be a teacher. You might just be a first-time guest. You could be a regular member. But don't go another day without getting this right. And, and man, for God's sake, don't worry about the embarrassment. <laughs> This is the most important thing in your life. If anything we say is true, this is about forever. I'm going to pray in a moment, but at the conclusion of my prayer, for those of us who are Christ followers and a part of this church, I'm going to invite you to join me and my family in being a part of this giving to our first fruits offering today. And some of you regularly give online, and the envelopes there in your seat have a, a place that you can even... Um, you can mark that I already gave online. And if you've done that or you've already given to the first fruits, I want to encourage you. There's something in, in the Old Testament that the people of God came forward and brought their gifts. So we kind of made a last-minute adjustment to make this a part of what we're doing. So I'm going to invite you to do that. Maybe you had not planned to be a part of that, but you still want to give something today. You want to be a part of this group. Maybe you've not yet commit, committed and you want to put your commitment card in there. Did you know that 100% of the people that get a paycheck from this church on all three campuses, they're a part of this campaign? Did you know that 100% of those who are on our building and renovation committee, they're making the plans, 100% of them are already involved in this campaign? Our personnel team, those that hold us into account and advise and give us consent to do things, 100% of them are already involved in this. And I could go on and on. A lot of people in our church have already been involved. Why don't you get in the game today? But most importantly, if you need that relationship with Christ, come see me. Come see one of the pastors that will be standing here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare this is a moment where we're coming back to you. We want to get this right. May others see you, Jesus, in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.